Welcome back to The Duck Stops Here, University of Oregon's alumni podcast. I'm Michelle Joyce Fife, and I know that at some point you've watched one of those Hollywood red carpet award ceremonies. Today's guest knows what it's like behind the scenes. You're on a team and your team made it to the finals. If you get best director, best writer, best actor, and you're in that room and you hear people cheer, you feel like you're part of like the winning team. Um, again, if you lose, you also feel like you're part of the losing team, but everybody's so, there's so much love, like you made it there. That was Deva Kehoe, the Senior Vice President of Talent Relations, Events and Promotions at Showtime. After graduating, she moved to Los Angeles and worked her way up from being a temporary receptionist at the IT desk at Fox Searchlight. Since then, she's overseen publicity and events critical to the success of numerous award-winning movies and TV shows. Today, she's here to talk to us about how streaming services are changing the industry, what it was like as a woman of color growing up in Eugene, and which celebrity she was the most excited to meet. Deva, thank you for being with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Can you give us a quick overview of what you do? Sure. I am the SVP of Talent Relations, Events, and Promotions at Showtime. You know, talent relations is anything outside of the PR umbrella. The PR department handles any television interviews, morning shows, um, print interviews. So we really handle anything outside of that. And then on the event side, I was hired originally just to do events on for the comms department, which is the PR department. So it could be Emmy parties, Golden Globe parties. So anything awards related, premieres, talent dinners, startup production dinners, tastemakers, anything really bespoke that is directly with talent and press. And then this last summer, my role was expanded to uh, the marketing department as well. So now I oversee all events across Showtime, except like internal events. Um, so all outwardly facing events and it's the overall, you know, umbrella of festivals. It's helping out in partnerships. It's um, just looking for new opportunities where we can engage with consumers. And in a real non-COVID world, we would be able to be out in the streets doing activations and, and trying to get their attention. And, you know, now we're racking our brains trying to figure out how to do it by, uh, virtually. So, yeah, it's a big job. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like there are so many moving parts. I'm really curious about these awards shows and the after parties and stuff. I um, obviously have never been to one and they're, you know, very glamorous and on television and everyone's dressed to the nines. Like, What are they like? If you win, they're really fun. <laughs> <laughs> if you win, it's a great time. If you don't win, you can feel the air being sucked out of the room, you know? Uh, a lot of times we'll do viewing parties. So people will be able to, if, if oh, only, you know, a certain amount of people can actually go to the show. So for all the friends and family and people who worked on it, we do like a smaller viewing party. And um, hopefully after they win, they come to the after party to reconnect with all their people who have been there, you know, throughout the making of it. You know, I think it's, it's always a fun night. It's fun to party hop. It's fun to go around and see the different things that people are doing. I think it's it's like a premiere party, but it could it's for multiple things. And what's cool mm -hmm. is you feel like you're you're on a team and your team made it to the finals. And so if it's an you know, if it's if you get 
best director, best writer, best actor, and you're in that room and you hear people cheer, you feel like you're part of like the winning team. Um, yeah. again, if you lose, you also feel like you're part of the losing team, but everybody's so, there's so much love, like you made it there. Yeah, I mean, it is a, an honor to be nominated, of course, it's better to win. Um, yeah. That, does anyone just say, I'm going home? <laughs> no, no. What I enjoy, you know, like, would I go if I wasn't part of uh, of a show? You know, so like this year we have, um, we have Brian Cranston for Your Honor. We have, um, like, for the Globe show coming up, we just got nominated. So we have Brian Cranston for Your Honor. We have Jeff Daniels and Brendan Gleeson for Comey Rule and um, Ethan Hawke for The Good Lord Bird. And listen, if it was Golden Globe, you know, weekend and we could actually throw a party in person, it would be so fun. Right. Um, but I also feel more attached to it because I've been working on these projects for six months. Mm -hmm. If I wasn't working on the projects, I don't, you know, I don't think it's as fun, but it's, it's fun to have the experience for sure. I imagined that now some of the people that you work with, you've been working with for a while, um, and it's not as big of a deal, but did you ever feel nervous or starstruck when you met someone yeah but not not because i was working with them i will admit um i started my career at fox searchlight and we were at the golden globes for um a movie we were working on and uh our person had just won the globe and it was really exciting and we were all trying to go to this party and we were in the lobby of a hotel and keeper sutherland walked in and it was when 24 was like at its height and i had named my cat jack bauer that's awesome so i got very excited to meet Kiefer sutherland which is like so silly i don't know like it's just it's you know i've i've met george clooney and a few other people and didn't really get nervous about it um i don't know yeah i don't really get starstruck because it's my business right you're not just running up to them in the airport or something you know? no I, I, i'm usually the person uh, who needs something from them i need them to stand over here or can we do a fitting now or can we you know do this i wanted to kind of go back and talk about your career trajectory your path after graduation and when you graduated what you thought you wanted to do yeah um, so I, I graduated in 2000, which sounds like I'm a million years old now and it's <laughs> wild to even think about. Um, so I graduated in 2000 and, and I had lived in Eugene since I was three. I don't like the rain. So I, you know, it, it was very top of mind. I was, um, waitressing at the Outback Steakhouse off the five freeway and trying to save up, you know, my dollars. And when I was at the U of O, I had odd jobs and I got a job at the cast center and I was helping out with sports, which eventually led into football. When recruits would come into town, we would give them tours. We would uh, do a dinner at night for their families and we would take them down on the field and you know show them the university. And I think it's interesting because people ask me how I ended up in this job and you, there's no, like, there's no necessarily school. I think in handling, and back then the talent was football players. Today, it's someone, you know, I have a show called City on a Hill. So we're talking about Kevin Bacon and Aldous Hodge. I think I probably was, and I also worked at uh, KMTR as their, their sports intern. So like, I think I was probably more active in extracurricular things than I really was in school by the end, you know, in school, I only had like one class by the end. 
Um, but I knew I wanted to be in television. I just didn't know in what capacity. And I think by the end of my senior year, I knew I probably didn't want to be on air, but I, I was already going down that path. So I, you know, I finished it. So I packed up my car. I moved to LA. I think for three months, I like, I ran out of money in the first month. I started waitressing, you know, at PF Chang's or something. And, uh, I did that. I had some, I had some temp jobs and I did that for probably three months. And I just, I wanted to work for E that was like my pie in the sky. I wanted to work for E. I wanted to be in production somehow. And they, of course, wouldn't even like look at me. They wouldn't even, you know, open up the door, respond to me. So my uncle finally said, do you want me to see if I can get you in the temp program at Fox? And I will say that there are a lot of temp programs at big entertainment companies, and it's a great way to get your foot in the door. I temped at NYPD Blue at the time, The Simpsons. Um, and I would just take odd jobs there a couple of days a week, uh, you know, whatever. I was basically down to do anything I could. And then one day the temp company called and said, look, we know you don't want to do it, but we have this job and it's a month long and you can be the front desk girl of the IT department and you'll report to two, uh, to two VPs. And I was like a month. Oh my God. I mean, that was like amazing <laughs> money. <laughs> you know, I was making I'm going to eat. I'm going to eat. It's I, maybe I can move out of my uncle's house on like a month's salary. Like I had big dreams. And so I ended up taking that job and then the steady money. And I got along with them. I was there for a year and a half. And finally I was after a year and a half, I was like, this is not what I moved to LA to do. Like I have zero interest in any of these. And it wasn't like it helped us. It was like infrastructure of it for Fox at the time. And I left that job and i had a cousin who worked at wella which is the sister company to like sebastian hairspray and i got my first pr job and i was just over the moon i was like being creative i met these cool girls that i was working with i was so into it two months later they laid off half the company and i was laid off and didn't have a job so i remember calling fox temp agency back up and saying hey i'm back on the market and they had two jobs that I interviewed for. One was with Blue Sky Studios, who was like the animation department at the time. And one was Fox Searchlight. And I got the Fox Searchlight gig. And it was an assistant to the head of um, PR. And That's amazing. Yeah. I had, I, mean, I had already been an assistant, but I'd never worked in PR. And I just remember... <laughs> I remember... Um, once I got the job, realizing sort of the magnitude of the job that I got, because that position as assistant, you got to see how the whole company worked, which was amazing. And you could kind of figure out what, what you liked. Um, but you also had the power, like the assistants have so much power. And not that I used that power necessarily, but I realized how to organize my boss's time. I realized how to communicate for her to the outside world, how to interact with the CEO and the presidents and the co-chairman, because those were her peers. So I had to work with their offices. And that skill was invaluable, right? It taught me, again, talent relations. They're not, you know, CEOs aren't talent in the celebrity sense, but within a company, they're talent. Um, and I think because of that, I was never afraid to talk to people at that level, if that makes sense. It sounds like, I mean, I've heard a lot of people say they got their start as an assistant to someone 
you have to, I mean, you have to be. And, and you know, whether you're assistant to the head of the department or I have an assistant right now, you know, I think I also rely so heavily on my assistant that I realized I was relying on her too much. Like I was putting so much work on her plate because she's one of the only people I trust, right? She She's good with information. She can keep a secret. She can keep me together. She knows what I'm trying to accomplish. And then I realized, oh my God, I'm using her more than than what she's ready for or what she was hired to do. She's great, by the way. <laughs> she's fantastic. I know she's fantastic. And, you know, she has a great trajectory because of it at, at Showtime. Um, but I think for myself back then, I was able to sort of look at the department. And back then I knew I wanted to do events. And, that, and, and long story short, they created an event job for me that eventually was taken away. So I became a coordinator in publicity and I did publicity for five years. Now, I will say for me, publicity was, it, it was hard. <laughs> Film publicity at an indie studio, you know, uh, they put me on this movie, this little movie at the time called Sideways because we were the junior team. We didn't really know what it would do. And I will say it was like boot camp, and we pitched and pitched and pitched and pitched and pitched. Wait, Finally, what does that mean? Who are you pitching to? So like, I would call like, Sonoma Wine Magazine and be like, hey, I have this, you know, the show, it takes place in Santa Barbara, not Sonoma, but it's about wine. Like, do you want to feature, you know, our actors um, trying to pitch to get them on Good Morning or Good Day LA, like anywhere we could try and get them in. And then all of a sudden it hit. And I think that experience of being a publicist for five years, while it wasn't my trajectory, it gave me an understanding of what the publicity team goes through and what the publicity team needs. And so now on the event side, on the sponsorship side of my whole job, I can walk in somewhere and understand what will make the machine run better, right? Like I can walk into a venue if I'm gonna plan a premiere party and I can say, red carpet can't go here because I've been on the red carpet. I've had to pitch press to be on a red carpet. I know the purpose of the red carpet. So now on the event side, I can say, that's probably not gonna work for the publicist because they need X, Y, and Z and the talent shouldn't be walking through a whole party. They should only go this way. You know, like I can really try and think about it from their perspective, what would be beneficial. Then I can think about it from the event side, what would be beneficial? Like. The fact that I was able to do that five years in publicity really, really helped me. Um, I think just understand the business as a, as a whole, right? I'm, I'm so grateful now for working in film for almost 14 years to then going to a streamer, which is truth be told, a tech company over an entertainment company, but to understand that side of the business to now be at Showtime and now my role has expanded beyond talent into marketing. So now I'm learning more about marketing and the data that goes behind and that finding an audience, you know? So now my understanding of the business is just expanding, which is really cool. You know, I was curious when you were talking about being a publicist, um, I had never really imagined that a studio would be needing to, like, I thought magazines would be coming to you and saying, hey, can we... Right. You know, or, or something, right. it didn't occur to me that you're actually shopping that stuff around. And yeah. it occurs to me also that everybody else is shopping everything else Correct. around. And so how do you cut through the clutter and how do you um, make an appealing pitch? 
Yeah. I mean, look, I'm not in publicity anymore, but it's, uh, it's tough. And I think it's even tougher in TV. I think film is, you know, film stars are like true movie stars. They are true celebrities and they are true. um, They have more of an untouchable sort of feeling. And I think a lot of, I'm going to say old school, not even old school, like people in our time, like if you had a Bridget Jones's diary, I imagine that was a lot easier than Sideways. <laughs> you know, I feel like that. Sideways was a great movie, by the way. Yeah, but Sideways was like these old men, you know, like that were depressed and uh, uh, quirky. You know, it was just a harder sell. It just was a yeah. it was a smaller movie with a smaller budget. Um, I think what I see in TV is now with the streamers, there is just so much content and there's just not, you know, how you, now we have movie stars that are doing TV, which is helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's hard. It's hard. And I think even when it comes down to like awards or it comes down to, um, yeah, the publicity of it, or even me trying to find if it's Emmy, you know, like say it's Emmy night, and a month out, we all find out, you know, who's going to be in the, you know, who's going to be in the show. We all go out and try and find a venue. And there's only a couple of venues that everybody wants. There's competition there too, right? But every, you think about it, every studio is throwing a party on the same night and you all want to be close to where the ceremony is. So there's only a couple of venues that we're all trying to get, right? I was thinking also about the awards shows. Um, I know you're not as involved in the Oscars, of course, but um, the Oscars So White movement comes to mind and it feels like they're probably very political and there's been a big movement to have them be more inclusive. Is that something that is happening in television awards as well? Yeah, I think it's I think it's happening all over the business. Um listen, as, as a person of color, I'm happy that people are talking about this. I, you know, I won't lie. It makes me a little nervous because I don't, I think people should be included because of their talent and how good they are. Um, not just because they're a person of color, you know, I don't, that worries me a little bit. Um, but I think just the fact that we're having the conversation is cool. And I think, there's so many talented people out there that if it casts a wider net so more people can be seen, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I also was thinking about, you said you were in Eugene from age three and Mm -hmm. Eugene isn't the most, I mean, Oregon overall isn't the most diverse place. Um, What was it like growing up? And then of course, moving to LA, which is, one of the most diverse cities maybe on earth. Yeah, ironically, my parents moved to Eugene from Hawaii because they felt like it would be a very liberal place to raise a child who is mixed black and white. Um, Not for the weather. Not for the weather and also like not really a mixed place. So I don't know what the total thinking was, but you know, it was early eighties when we moved there. I think, you know, my, it's interesting because I went to this private school, like, I think up until third grade. And there was only a couple of kids in my class. There was like maybe eight kids in the class and we were all something different. And so, which I think is not normal for Eugene, you know? And then I remember going into public school and feeling pretty out of place because everybody was white. And I was like the one of 
two, maybe three kids who were mixed. I don't even think they were black. It was like, I think going to University of Oregon was the first time I felt like I'd kind of find, found my tribe. I met a lot of people from Portland. Um, I met a lot of people through the Black Student Union. I met people through NABJ, through the football department. And I just started seeing people who looked more like me. And, and that was great. It was, it was, you know, it was kind of refreshing and I, and I felt comfortable in my own skin. Um, then I moved to LA and it was like this explosion of culture. And I remember thinking how cool it was that a people could come here and be whoever they wanted B that you were exposed to, you know, it's not like there's just like one Chinese restaurant on the corner and then you have one Italian restaurant and you have, you know, the local falafel place, like there was five for every corner and it's cool to be yourself and you don't have to be like everybody else. And I just remember appreciating it and being like, well, this is my place, right? Like feeling comfortable and the weather was good. And, you know, now I've lived in LA longer than I think I lived in Eugene, which is also crazy to think about. We recently opened a Black Cultural Center on campus. And um, have you remained connected to the Black Alumni Network at all? Not too much. I just started getting emails from them to connect. And um, I, I, I plan on doing it. I haven't had time to actually investigate and figure it out. I'm still very good friends with a lot of people that I went to school with. It's just so cool to see people who we were all part of the same student union or the same sorority or the same and just doing amazing things in the world. It's cool. I think you actually suggested that we have an event at Newhouse and that was an event that the Black Alumni Network was uh, promoting. Spencer Pacinger was speaking and um, you saved me because my venue fell through. Oh, good. And you just <laughs> off the top of your head, you're like, call Newhouse. <laughs> I was like, Davis sent me and they're like, we'll take good care of you. So thank you. Oh, that's so good. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic. So, okay. So we talked about Fox Searchlight and then you went to Hulu. And then I went to Hulu and that was... Um, yeah, that was an eye opener. I I was almost like going through a, a divorce leaving Fox because um, I had been there for 14 years. I had only ever worked in film at that time. And I, you know, I will say it's the best move I ever did. I think forcing me out of my comfort zone, saying I, I, I love what I'm doing, but I have this opportunity to go one step further and to, um, stretch myself, right? And to have to learn this new business. It's the best thing I could have ever done because now look, everybody's turning into a streamer. Everybody's trying to figure out how to get subs. Everybody's uh, trying to figure out how to cut through the clutter and, you know, to make sense in this. I think the thing that I realized at Hulu was more of like the business side where at Searchlight, I was so proud of the content that I was working at. Now look, I got to work on The Handmaid's Tale and a few other things that are amazing that Hulu has done but I kind of got to see it from just a, a more tech perspective. They really were tech first, entertainment second, I would say. They were turning more into, with The Handmaid's Tale and some other things that they had, I think more entertainment forward. I definitely, you know, I think about it all the time, like what would I do post showtime? What would be the goal? Sometimes I lean towards tech because I think it's a different perspective and it's a way for me to continue to grow. Like I, you know, I want to keep growing in my profession. I, I never want to be like, 
I'm in my forties now. I don't know what Snapchat is. I don't know what clubhouse is. I don't know what the kids are doing. Mm -hmm. You know, I think being a part of Hulu, I was old at Hulu, which I was shocked that, you know, the, most of the people that worked there were much younger. And I think being thrown into that environment from being somewhere like Fox Searchlight, where everybody was older than me, it just gave me different perspective on the industry. And I think that's really cool. Showtime sort of this Showtime's kind of a, it's kind of a combination, but working in TV at a, you know, a traditional network is so different than working at a streamer. So again, I'm having to flex myself and learn something different, which I really enjoy. Yeah, it's interesting. The streaming services have really given the traditional model a run for its money and everybody's needing to adapt. Oh my gosh. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, look, they have the ability to pump out content so quickly and good content that makes them very competitive. I think it's putting everybody on their toes. It's the pandemic has been interesting because we've all, it, it was all heading into this like direction where I think people were thinking, okay, the streamers are going to make us pivot, but they weren't having to deal with it. Right now. I think we're closer, but we've also been forced to pivot because we can't do things in person or to figure out how to make a show in the time of a pandemic and to keep content on the air because entertainment's doing really well, right? Because people are sitting at home. <laughs> I've watched everything on television. I mean, I have start. I've gone, I'm now like downloading like, you know, apps from the UK so I can watch British content that like, cause I feel like I have nothing left. What are you watching? Oh, I'm in the middle of like MI5. I'm watching all of their detective shows. They have great, great detective shows. I'm watching Prime Suspect, which is like the original um, Helen Mirren, like how she like got her start. Like I'm digging deep, but I think, <laughs> you know, I also watch a lot of TV. I really enjoy it, but I think it's cool. I think on so many levels of the business, but I think people are having to make decisions they haven't had to make in a long time. And I think, I don't know, I'm not so afraid of change. I think it's cool because it makes people flex. And you had mentioned that one of the things that everyone's trying to figure out is how to um, produce content during a pandemic. Is there any kind of an answer to that question? It depends on the production. There's a lot of testing. Everybody kind of has their own rules and what can happen. You know, some people go into a bubble and try and shoot things really quickly so that they're not exposing people. Um, I don't I don't work on the programming side. So what I see right. from the outside is it's hard, but people want to make it happen because it's a business. Of course. Because it generates a lot of, you know, jobs and cash. So, you know, I think everybody's trying to make it work. Oh, I'm sure. And it just seems like everything's so different now. And everything about your position would be wildly different right now. Um, oh my gosh. How yeah. are you pivoting? How, what are you doing? So I will say this is the first time since I've probably lived in LA that I've been in LA without traveling for a year. I've never, I, I'm normally on a plane every month. Um, I'm, my sleep is off. I'm exhausted <laughs> most of the time. I feel the best I felt in years. So <laughs> I, you know, it's cool because while we're doing events virtually, we will go back to in person. But I think now we've seen where, for example, I had an event, um, I, I was going to have a premiere in last November. And, you know, if we had been in person, we probably would have gotten 300 people to a theater and been able to, you know, do an event for 300. We had over a thousand people virtually tune in. And so I think for us, we're like, okay, so there's real benefit 
to having the virtual component. So now my next challenge is yeah, going to be cheaper. it's cheaper, but also just the amount of eyes that you can get and, and, you know, people who you can have because they don't have to physically be in the room or even be in that city. You know, again, I think it's cool. I think it's forcing us as executives and as industry professionals to try and think differently, to try and engage with people. I mean, the whole point is, is A, to create a unique experience, but to create buzz about whatever show you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. um, so the more eyeballs, the better, which I'm excited about. Yeah, it's funny. I think I visited you in your office at Showtime. I think it was like your first week of work. Your office still smelled oh gosh, like yeah. wet paint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sadly, um, I think we're going to end up giving up our offices. I don't know what I'm if I'm allowed to say anything, but I think that whatever we whatever type of schedule they bring us back to, I don't know that we'll go back in the office full time um, because this work from home thing, you know, is, yeah. is working. So I, yeah, yeah, I may have to give up that very nice office, but I'm okay with it. I like working from home. I'm yeah, I'm yeah. into it. I, 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 there are a lot of advantages for sure. And mm -hmm. um, it's funny because there are so many bosses that wouldn't let people work from home before, but that now it's been proven that it's totally yeah. possible. <laughs> it's totally possible. And like, I can throw my laundry in, you know, jump on, yeah. talk to you, and then I can change it. And it's not, your weekends don't turn into all the things you couldn't do during the week. It feels like there's a better harmonious yeah. balance, right? Yeah, it's nice. Although strange, like we don't, my team and I don't talk on the phone, we do Zooms. So mm -hmm. even if I have a quick question for my assistant, I'll call her through Slack, right? Or through mm -hmm. Zoom, because now talking on the phone is weird. Why would I just want to hear your voice? Why can't I see your face? <laughs> you right. <know? laughs> right. Well, I'm sure that um, giving up traffic in LA isn't uh, much of a hardship. Yep. None. No hardship. So happy that <laughs> no traffic. It's great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview. And I really look forward to the day that I can travel back down there and maybe we can get a group from the Black Alumni Network together and do some do something. That would be great. I would I would love to. It's great to see you again. And um, I'm sure I can come up with a great venue next time <laughs> for us to go to. Um, but no, that'd be great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you again. Go Ducks. Go Ducks. Thanks for listening. And be sure to check out the show notes for links to our social media and details about upcoming virtual events. Keep in touch and see you next time on The Duck Stops Here.